0: It's such a powerful thought, isn't it? To see that reverse and the blood of Jesus reverse the curse of sin. Good Friday is a weird thing to call it, isn't it? I mean, what other faith celebrates the death of its founder? And I don't mean just celebrates their life at the time of their death, but actually celebrates their death. Something that would seem so Devastating, so horrible. And we actually say that it was good. How strange! Of course, it didn't seem good at the time, did it? It seemed devastating. Uh, this man, the, the followers, his friends, his family—they they looked at Jesus and they saw. They were beginning to see him as more than just a man. They knew there was something special about him. Some of them were starting to believe that he was something really, really incredible. And then all of a sudden their faith was tested in this incredible way as they saw him hanging on a cross. You know, the big holiday messages sometimes just become routine for us. Christmas and Easter and Good Friday. And we know the stories. We know what Jesus did on the cross. Probably everyone here has heard it many, many times. And so what I want us to do tonight is to just try to look at it with fresh eyes, with fresh spiritual eyes, to just look at what Jesus did for us on the cross and think about what impact does that have on my life today? Maybe you're someone that's known Jesus and has had a relationship with Jesus for a very long time. How does the cross on Good Friday and the death of Jesus still impact you today? I want to do that by looking at Matthew chapter 27 and a few passages in the book of Romans. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. You know, all of us have lots of struggles in our life, and I'm certainly no exception to that. And we have lots of external struggles. We have lots of internal struggles. And I think the internal struggles can be a lot worse. Right? I mean, don't you, don't you feel that tension within you oftentimes about the, the, the stuff that you know you shouldn't do, but you find yourself doing it anyway. And as soon as you've done it, you go, man, I did it again. Don't you, don't you feel that tension? There's so much discouragement and depression and anxiety in this world and mental anguish that we have because internally we struggle. We struggle with what to do and what not to do. And sometimes we feel like we can't help ourselves. And there's a man in the Bible that wrestled with this. And he, he talks about this battle that he has internally. And he ties it back to the cross of Jesus. And so that's where I want to take us tonight. I'm actually going to show a couple verses from his letter. And then we're going to dig into Matthew for a little bit. The Apostle Paul, Apostles were not perfect people, by the way. They were flawed people just like I am, just like you are. And the Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He said, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Have you ever seen... This is going to sound really strange. Have you ever seen a two-headed lizard? Have you ever seen pictures or video of a two-headed lizard? You know, reptiles can grow two heads sometimes. It's rare, but it happens. Reptiles, lizards, snakes. Sometimes it's two heads that come out of the front of one body. Sometimes there's a head at each end, which is really weird. And what happens when these reptiles have two heads is that sometimes they'll each sort of have a mind of their own, which kind of makes sense, but they have the same body. So one head will want to go in this direction. One head will want to go in that direction, and they actually have to fight each other for who gets to win. And sometimes they will even get so upset with each other that that these two heads will start fighting each other, and they'll actually bite each other to try to win and get their way. Doesn't that kind of describe the human condition a little bit? Like, I know there's stuff that I should be doing, but I don't do it and there's stuff that I don't want to do, but I keep finding myself doing that over and over and over again and it just seems like I'm a slave to it. It just seems like it has this power over me. Like there's this compulsion and I just keep doing the things and saying the things that I don't want to do. Like there's a war inside of us and this is the struggle that Paul was talking about Uh, when my son was a few years younger. He figured something out when he was about three years old or so whenever he'd get in trouble. He would say, I I didn't do that. My brain did that. Like, I didn't want to do that. My brain, you don't understand, Dad. My brain made me do that. I didn't want to do it. I knew it was wrong, but my brain made me do that. And what a perfectly, um, I I would almost say innocent, but it's, it's actually by definition, not innocent, but it seems like an innocent explanation of what happens when we know we shouldn't do something, but we do it anyway, or we know we should do something and we don't do it. And there's this war within us that we fight at times. And wouldn't you love to be able to just give that as an excuse? Like, oh, I, 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 that was my brain. I, I didn't, that wasn't me. It was my brain. I knew it was wrong. I think we all feel that way at times. Whether you're here and you are a follower of Jesus or not, or you're watching online right now and you're a follower of Jesus or not, we all have this struggle within us. And in fact, the fact that we struggle with this is is in some ways kind of a neat thing because we wrestle with this idea of right and wrong and it doesn't matter. You could be the most devout atheist that doesn't believe in God, but you still have a sense of right and wrong and you'll still argue with other people about that was wrong. You shouldn't have done that to me or those people shouldn't be doing that to those people. We have this sense of morality and every time we argue about what is right and wrong. We're actually appealing to a, a higher moral standard. And where does that moral standard come from? It must come from somewhere. This is one of the arguments for the existence of God. The fact that we have a sense of right and wrong. We have a a moral compass, even if sometimes it is very skewed. And we struggle with doing what is right. And we struggle with what is wrong. Wrong. Do I do what is right, or do I lie to get away with it? Do I do what is right, or do I cheat to get what I want? Do I do what is right, or do I harm that other person because of what they did to me? And there are all these things that we struggle with. It doesn't matter who you are. My brain made me do it. It's a great excuse. But it's this battle that we have within us. And if you can relate to that at all, the good news is the apostle Paul Has a great message for us. And that's what I want to bring to you today. But before I do that, I want to give us some background. After all, it is Good Friday. And we're talking about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Paul is going to appeal to that death in his argument that we're going to get into in a little bit in the book of Romans. So first, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to read about the death of Jesus. What did he go through? What did he experience today as we remember this and in a little bit as we partake in the Lord's Supper to remember and symbolize the death of Jesus and what that means to us. I want us to have a fresh look at what that means to us and why it is so important. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 33. Here's what we read. They went out to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus head announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of the religious law and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others. They scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel is he let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. He trusted God. So let God rescue him now if he wants him for he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way at noon darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock at about three o'clock. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me?" Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. And then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary Of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split apart. Tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. And they said, this man truly was the son of God. This is one of the most significant events to happen in the history of the universe. We're still talking about it now. 2000 years later, billions of people have believed in this message and it's changed their lives in profound ways. And as we look at the letter of Romans tonight, we're going to see how Paul ties this event into what he's experiencing with this inner struggle an inner struggle that I think every one of us can relate to. I want to start in Romans chapter six. Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Paul says this. Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. We joined him in his death. What does that mean? Let's start by talking about baptism. Paul here is speaking of spiritual baptism. When he says that we joined Christ Jesus in baptism. John said that I baptize with water, but there is one who is coming who's greater than I who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. When we trust in him, we get covered in him. We've talked about that recently in some of our messages. And so when we are joined with Jesus and we trust with him and we're joined with him in baptism, we join him in his death. What does that mean? When we trust in him, we are joined in his death. Does that mean we die? Is that what that means? Well, yes, in a way, Paul goes on in verse four. He says, we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the father, now we also may live new lives. And then he says in verse five, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. So in some sense, yes, we die when we believe in Jesus, we are united with him in his death. What we remember tonight as Good Friday, we are actually remembering something that we are a participant in if we have trusted in Jesus. Yes, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, but it's what that did in our lives that's so compelling to us. And it's the fact that we actually participate in this. I don't know if we always fully understand this or, or on a daily basis recognize the fact that we have participated in this, but it has profound impact for how we live. Every single day it has profound impact for how we live. And Paul is going to explain this to us. In verse 6, he says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin when we believe in Jesus. It's an amazing thing. The word slave is dulevo and you'll never guess what it means. Slave. It's a good translation. It means slave, but it also means to be under the control of something, to be controlled by something. And I was thinking about that this week, and uh, it popped into my head that earlier this week, my daughter brought me this toy that was no longer working. And I'll show you the toy. This is something that I have had since I was a kid, actually. Um, And it has been through a lot. A lot of mud puddles, a lot of ramps, a lot of jumps. It's amazing this thing still works. I think it still works. Let's see. There we go. It still works. Just fine. Any day it's going to give up. And she brought this to me earlier this week and said, Dad, it's broken. It won't work anymore. And I thought, well, it's finally bit the dust. I knew it was going to happen sometime. You know, we, we don't exactly treat toys super well at our house, so you know, I'm not surprised, but then I said, well, give it to me and let's take a look at it and I grabbed this controller and I popped it out and I took the battery out and I popped a new battery in and what do you know, it started working again. This controller had a dead battery and so it had no more control over this vehicle. It couldn't do anything anymore. It didn't have any power anymore and if the thing that's controlling you loses its power, then it can't control you anymore. And that's the the word picture I want you to get in your mind as you think about the power that sin has over us. When Paul says in verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. God unplugged the battery. He removed the the control the sin has over us. We're no longer slaves to sin. And there's a lot that Jesus' death on the cross does for you. I'm not saying this is all it is. I mean, freedom from the penalty of sin is huge. But the Bible also tells us that because Jesus died on the cross, sin has lost its power over our lives. And when we talk about freedom from sin, we don't just mean freedom from the penalty of sin. We We mean freedom from that power that sin had over us. Yes, Jesus' death means that we get his righteousness applied to us. And it means that that payment, that sacrifice that he made is attributed to our account with God. And all that is wonderful and amazing. I'm not downplaying that at all. But one of the aspects I think we often forget is there is a power that, that sin had over us that it doesn't have if we believed in Jesus. It's cut off. It's broken. The controller has no more batteries. And we need to remember that and live in that every day. Sin was our master. It's no longer our master. And so pride and bitterness and selfishness and envy and and all of the the things that we get into with anger and, and hurting people, all of those things, we don't have to do them anymore. When we've trusted in Jesus, the power of that sin is broken over us. And so in the very next verse, in Romans 6, verse 7, Paul says, For when we died with Christ, you see, you took part in this death with Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a participant in what we're remembering today. When we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. What we're talking about tonight gives us great hope. Great hope. For our future, but not just for our future, also for today. Paul says in the next verse, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Let me just point out a few things there to you. Paul says again, when you believe in Jesus, you died with him. What part died? The sin control part. So if you believe in Jesus, you are set free from the power of sin. And then he gives us some evidence when he talks about being sure of this because Christ Jesus was raised from the dead. His argument here is that if if he conquered death, if death has no power over him, what does what can't Jesus do if he can come back from the dead? What kind of power is that? Paul is speaking from the perspective of someone who would would tell a group of, of believers at one point, by the way, there were about 500 people that I know of who saw Jesus, saw him die, and then saw him when he came back to life. There's evidence of this. That's why Paul says we are sure of this. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and all these witnesses saw it. So from in his day, there were all these eyewitnesses that could point to it and say, yes, this happened. Yes, I saw him. And I know that he rose from the dead. And Paul bases his whole argument on this and says, Hey, if if Christ has power over death, and the whole point of that was to break the power of sin, then we can be sure of this. He has broken the power of sin. And so in verse 11, he says, so you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. The sin controller is broken batteries have been removed, the wires have been unplugged. it no longer has to have control over your life. He broke the power of sin. He conquered death and so we are sure of this and when we believe in Jesus Christ, the sin part of us, that sin control part of us dies with him and that's why now you with, with, when you see a Christian you know that they don't sin anymore. I mean they are they are perfect and they never make mistakes. You can count on that. We are sure of this. The sin part died, right? Now, those of you that are laughing, you know something. It's not how any of this works. It's not like those who trust in Jesus are suddenly free from sin. In fact, I'm going to run a little experiment here. I would like every one of you, if you don't mind, to just look to the person to your right. Would you look to the person to your right for a moment? Thank you. Now look to the person to your left. If you don't mind. Okay, statistically speaking, all three of you are sinners. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter who you've believed in. You're all still sinners. In fact, John tells us if anyone believes he's talking to believers in Jesus. If anyone believes that he has no sin, he's deceived himself. Every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us has bad desires, bad bad thoughts, does bad things. We're all sinful people. We're all broken people. So what's going on here? Paul is going to tell us in the next verse in, in Romans six twelve. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. Hold on a minute, Paul. I thought you said the sin part died. No, the sin control part died. The power of sin over you is dead. It doesn't mean you can't sin anymore. It just means it doesn't have the power over you that it used to have. And so he says, now, based on all of this that's happened in your life, that's changed, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't let it have that power over you. Before you didn't have a choice. Now you do. Don't let it have the power that it used to have in your life. Do not give in to sinful desires. He goes on to elaborate in verse 13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you are dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And then he, then he says, he goes back to this. Sin is no longer your master. You are slaves to sin. Sin is no longer your master, he says. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. If you're thankful for that, say amen. You live under the freedom of God's grace. What an amazing thing, the grace that he offers us. And what is Paul's point here? He's saying, don't go back. Don't go back to that life. Don't go back to that time where where it seems like sin has control over you again, because it doesn't have to. You have a choice. You have freedom because of God's grace. Doesn't mean you won't sin anymore. But you can choose not to by the grace of God and his work in your life. I have two applications for you as we close today. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and we're going to sing a couple of songs, and we're going to have a wonderful time remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us. But I want to give you two applications, and these two applications are going to be for two different types of people, and and who you are is between you and God. The first application starts with a story. In 1973, there was a a convict named Jan Eric Olson who um, got out of jail, and he robbed one of the biggest banks in Sweden. And this bank was called Credit Banking. They were very creative with their banking names. Credit Banking was the name of the bank. The robbery did not go according to plan. And he ended up taking four hostages, and he took these hostages back into the bank vault where they were basically locked up for six days as he would not let them out. And he threatened to shoot them. And the police could not get in there. They were secured in this vault. And finally, after six days, it it was just filthy. And there was, you can imagine six days in there, five people, actually six people, because he had a friend that he roped into this with him. And so the, the stench that would have been in that vault, they described it was just terrible. And finally, it was too much. And he gave up. And the police freed the hostages. And they brought them in and said, now we need you to tell your story to help us convict these men. And the hostages said, we actually really like them. In fact, we like them so much, we're not going to work with you to prosecute them. In fact, we're actually going to go raise money to help with their defense. This baffled the police. Why would you do this? And it it caused psychologists to come in and study the situation. And this all happened in Stockholm, Sweden. It's what we now call Stockholm syndrome. When you have these hostages who end up having an affection for an affinity for and actually really like the person who took them hostage and threatened to kill them multiple times. And no one could understand it, but the truth is the same thing happens with followers of Jesus all the time where we are freed from the bondage of sin, the thing that's been oppressing us, the thing that holds us hostage, the thing that has power over us, and then we're freed from it. And so often we run right back to the oppressor. Do not let sin have the control over your life that it once had. That's Paul's point. And so my question for you today, if you're a follower of Jesus Is to search your heart and ask God to search your heart. And here is the question. Is there some sin, some wrong behavior, wrong thinking, wrong speech, whatever it might be that I keep running back to that I keep allowing to have more power over me and my thoughts and my words and my actions than it really has to have and I have deceived myself into thinking, oh, it's just the way I am. It's just a part of who I am. I can't help it. I can't stop it. I'm just going to let it happen, and I've just given up on it, and I don't realize because of what Jesus did for me. I don't have that control over me anymore. You don't have to let that have power over you. Is there some thing like that, some sin like that, that you keep running back to and allowing to have control over you? That Jesus would say, my blood paid for that. I paid for that on the cross. Why do you keep going back to that? I freed you from that oppression. And now you're allowing it to have that control over you. And you don't have to. First John 1 9 says that. If you're a sinner and we're all sinners. And you confess that sin. God is faithful. He is just. He will forgive you. It's a promise. He will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You know what's amazing about that truth? It does not say if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just, he will forgive you, and then you better get your act together. You better straighten yourself up. It says he will cleanse you from unrighteousness. You see, we need God at every stage in this process. When we first trust in Jesus, he breaks the power of sin over our lives, and the sin control part of us participates in the death of Jesus on the cross, that part dies with the crucifixion, but we continue to struggle with sin. We continue to run back to those sins that so easily beset us as Paul says in another place, but if we confess those sins to God, he is faithful. He forgives us and then he will continue to cleanse us. And so we needed God at the very beginning and we need him every single day. We need him to help us to not feel like we have to go back to the power of sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's application number one. Application number two is for somebody that may be here and maybe you don't go to church very often, or maybe you do, I don't know, but you've never actually fully given your life to Jesus. And maybe you're watching online right now and you just happened across this as you were out there on the Internet. I don't know. But you've never fully trusted in him. And so you have the same problem. You keep messing up in ways and breaking up relationships and causing harm to other people and harm to yourself. And you keep doing things that you know are wrong to do, but you run back to him. And for you, there is a power that sin has over you, a control that it has over you. And until you have Jesus in your life, you won't be able to get away from it. You can't be free from it because the controller still has batteries. It still has that control over your life. And if that's you, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. What better day than Good Friday when we remember the death of Jesus Christ, how he paid for that sin, not just to get rid of the consequences of it, but to break the power that it has over your life today. Jesus did all the work. What he asks of you is to believe and receive it. The Bible says that, if you, conf- uh, th- that um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does that mean? You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It means I admit, I agree, I confess, I acknowledge that Jesus really is who he said he was. He is God. He's the, the part of God we call the Son of God. That's part of the Trinity. He is God, He is Lord. He is the master. He's the one that I want to to have ownership of my life. Instead of me, I choose his way instead of my way. I make him my Lord. I confess that he is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What does that mean? I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, that he came back to life. And as Paul says that we looked at earlier, if he has the power to come back from the dead, then he can do anything. And the Bible tells us that that power, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that is the power that God uses to break the control of sin that it has over our lives. And if we do that, if we trust in him, God makes us into a new person. I've had the great privilege of seeing this so many times. Um, Many, many times I've walked with someone who just seemed like they just kept getting into trouble and going their own way and and they'd be somehow connected with, with me and the ministry I was doing or the church in some way and, and would kind of walk through things and, and just be praying for them and trying to help them and minister to them in different ways. And it just seemed like it didn't go anywhere until all of a sudden they started to get it and they started to, to think that maybe there really was something to this Jesus guy. And one day they decided I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to commit my life to him and the change that happens from that point forward is just unbelievable. It does not mean they become perfect people. They still struggle with sin, but now they have a freedom they didn't have before, and they have an advocate through Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father helping them to live differently and overcome the sin that we so quickly run back to again. And again, if you've never made that decision to trust in Jesus and commit your life to him, tonight would be a great time to do it, to search your heart, to talk to God and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I do wrong and I can't win this battle on my own. I don't want to face the consequences of my sin. I don't want to continue to to do these bad things. I want to live for you, but I recognize I can't do it without you in my life. So come into my life, Jesus. Come into my life and make me a new person. Please forgive me for my sin and make me a new person. I believe in you. I believe you died and you rose again for me. If you will make that commitment to God, watch what he will do in your life. It is transforming. It is incredible. And it's why we call this good Friday because the death of Jesus made it all possible. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to pray now. Jesus, we are so thankful for your sacrifice for us. What you did for us on the cross, we take it for granted so often. And yet it impacts how we live every single day. It changes. It it, it gives us perspective. It changes the things we think about, the things we do, and it, it should change them more than it does. Because God, we keep running back to those things, which just trip us up in life. And even for those of us that have known you for a long time, even though sin doesn't have to have that power over us, as Paul said, sometimes we let it. We let sin have power over us that it doesn't really have that it shouldn't have. Lord Jesus, I pray that tonight you would help us to see in a fresh way how the power of sin is broken And to recognize that that thing that we keep thinking that we're we're powerless to break, the thing that we keep thinking we're powerless to stop, you've already broken the power. We don't have to break it. You broke it. Help us to rest in that truth and trust in you and confess that sin to you and to seek your cleansing of our life because we need it, every single one of us. Lord, as we remember your sacrifice tonight, your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. I pray for everyone that participates in the Lord's Supper communion tonight. There would be a fresh understanding of what you did and what it means to us today. We don't want this to be ritual. We don't want this to be routine. God, we want this to be life-changing. We want this to change the way we live for you. remember the sacrifice you made for us, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, tonight we have this incredible privilege to take the Lord's Supper together. So I'm going to ask our servers to come forward if they will. And let me just share with you how this is going to work. On a typical Good Friday service, we would have loaves of bread and a big cup of juice and you'd pull off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. And that's called communion by intinction. And that's been a practice here since before I got here. During the pandemic, we had to stop doing that. And we won't be doing it tonight either. So we'll do sort of a hybrid version. And in a little bit, I'm going to invite you to come forward and, and wait in line at one of the stations up here or in the back or in the balcony, wherever you are. And there's going to be one station that has the bread and one station that has the cup. They're not together, two separate cups. And we have servers here to help you with that. And you can take the bread and remember the body of Christ, which was broken for you. And then you can take the cup and remember the blood of Christ, which was shed for you. And as you're doing that, think about what that means. Not just what it meant the day you trusted Jesus. What does it mean to your life even today? How is it gonna impact the way you live this next week and remember what he did for you and what he did on Sunday? Take a few moments. Confess anything you need to confess. Pray and when you're ready, come forward and participate with us in the Lord's Supper and then go back to your seat and we'll sing a couple songs together.